2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Thank you. We are reading what Paul has to say as he is standing almost on the precipice of the end of his life. He's in prison, has very uncomfortable and unpleasant circumstances. He's been abandoned by many of his friends, and he's suffered for the gospel. He is being treated as a vile criminal for his faithfulness to Jesus Christ and to the word of God. And um, I guess you could conclude from some of these things that life is not always fair, but it is in God's hand. He is sovereign over the circumstances. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this time. And then we will look at the text. Dear Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this man, the Apostle Paul, man of, of a phenomenal statue, one of the greatest men, in my opinion, that ever lived, and yet one who has been abused and treated and mistreated so many times. And now, as he is giving his testimony to Timothy, trying to encourage Timothy, because Timothy is going to be responsible for some of the leadership of the church at Ephesus, and he wants to just make sure that Timothy is on par with some of the responsibilities that are on his plate. So I can understand Paul's burden. Paul is missing Timothy. He wants to see him. He's going to, he's asked, going to ask him to come and, and see him if he can hurry, hurriedly, because he doesn't have much time left. But in this picture and in these words, we can kind of put ourselves into this, in this scenario as well to think about our lives and what it's going to be like uh, if we were to find out that we don't have much time left to live, um, it's really important uh, what what we do now and how we live now and how we respond now and and the out, the outcome, I guess, of of our belief system and our commitment in our lives and what it will have to say in the future. And so, uh, just pray as we look at these things this morning that you'll give me freedom of expression, uh, but not away from your word, but in your word, and that your spirit. And your word would, would do its work, do his work in our lives. And that Jesus Christ be honored, exalted today. That he would be preeminent. We pray in his name with thanksgiving. Amen. Paul writes, um, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Well, Paul is standing on the very precipice, I guess you could say, of his life. And uh, he is now facing the reality that he probably doesn't have much time left. He is in very uncomfortable circumstances. Maybe exposure as well, because he's asking Timothy to bring his clothes and some, some things that maybe keep him warm. <coughs> but he is here because of his commitment to Jesus Christ. And uh, so these are kind of his last words, if you will, famous last words. And uh, so we're, we're looking at them. And as we look at them, we notice that you kind of divide them up into three scenarios, maybe you could say. First of all, he looks at the circumstances around him, and he says, I am already 
being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure has come. So he's, he's realizing his life is coming to an end. His life is being poured out uh, like a valuable, one, he uses the, the phrase, the idea of the drink offering that would be poured out on the, the wine be poured out on the altar with the sacrifice. And it's a way of maybe of extravagantly pouring out this wine as part of the offering. And yet it gives a, a, a aroma, a very pleasant aroma. And he says, my life is like that. I'm being sacrificed my life. I'm giving my life over. Uh, my head is going to be so he couldn't be, he's not going to be crucified because he's a Roman citizen. They, they would be against the law, but he can be decapitated, which when he, he is, and his head is cut off, his blood will be poured out on the ground. And so it'd be like a drink offering. It's kind of the analogy that I get from that picture. And so anyway, he looks at the circumstances, the time of my departure, the season of my departure, doesn't mean that day, but within that time with his ministry, he can sense that it's not going to be much time left. And so he looks around him, and there was, first of all, the circumstances and the things around him. And then secondly, he looks back on his life, and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. And he sort of summarizes his life in little three scenarios. First of all, that I fought a good fight like, a, like a, the Roman wrestler would do, the Olympic wrestler would fight and struggle and that kind of terminology is used there for, for athletic competition and stuff. I fought a good fight, an attractive fight. My life is a life that has been uh, lived in a way that is uh, just justifying the gospel, justifying my claim. Uh, secondly, I have finished the course. I have kept the, for the course of running the race. I've stayed on track, not deviated, not gone astray. Uh, and I have gone to the very end. I have completed the, the, the course. And the, the course is not just something that's been laid out randomly, but it's the course that God has set for me. And so I've kept that and uh, have followed through on that. And then finally, I've kept the faith. I have like a guard, a Roman guard. I have defended the faith kept it uh, and uh, been faithful to it. So actually his life was a good life in the sense that he had done good things and uh, he's done a lot that, and he's one of the greatest men who ever lived. And he's, his life is a life that speaks well of commitment and dedication and sacrifice for a cause that's much bigger than his personal comfort and his own uh, little vacation or his little happiness that he wants to do uh, this weekend or next weekend. You know what I'm saying? His life is bigger than that. And yet here he is dying now, uh, giving his life up for this cause, uh, which to me just speaks volumes as to the commitment of the man and the power of his life. Because when a person has that kind of commitment to Jesus Christ, it does impact other people around. So then he looks now, was looking around, now looking back, and now looking forward, he looks forward. And this is our text for this morning. Um, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Looking forward to it, we know that what you invest in and what you put your resources in and what you, uh, where you put your focus in this life uh, ends when you breathe your last. You can invest in money, uh, houses, big property, down on the lake, have a big boat. I was, I was born in Key West, and frequently when I talk to people that are going through the line, it, it blows. 
we'll talk about military and I'll tell them I was going to the Navy hospital down in Key West and we get to talk about, a lot of people like to talk about Key West. And some of them have a big boat and they have yachts and we got to talk about a 600 foot yacht. That's pretty, that's a significant boat. That's a lot of, of property to have on this side of the grave. And that's a big loss when you breathe your last to lose it all. It's going to be gone. And so uh, we can, we can, try to invest as much as we can here in this life for our comfort, for our pleasure, for enjoying it, for showing off. That's one of the reasons why people have money. They like to show it off. Rick said this morning, can't hide money. Well, um, you like to show it off, you know, and, 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 but when you breathe your last, it's gone. And the only way you can move on from this side of the grave to the other side, uh, if you want to take anything with you, is to send it on ahead. You're not going to be able to take it. You can't, you're not, what was it? Somebody said that you never saw a purse pulling a U-Haul. It's just that doesn't happen that way. And so um, we can send it on ahead. We can invest in it. And um, this, this life here, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I was thinking about that in the resurrection chapter. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, the kingdom of God, when you get to heaven, flesh and blood down here is not going to be able to, inherit that, you've got to send it on ahead. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We have imperishable things, things that are eternal, but the physical things that we have, we don't inherit like that. We can't hold on to the physical. We can't invest in the stock market and make that eternal unless we invest that in the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, his work, his kingdom. That's the way that we can do that. We can invest in the eternal. Behold, he says, I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For, the, for the, this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. I want to have your bodies. And we come to be with the Lord, and with those new bodies, we will be in the kingdom. Then, uh, when this perishable would put on imperishable, and this mortal put on immortality, then will come about the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your baby? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. And thank, but thanks be God, gives us the victory with our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the, the conclusion. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be talking about right now, be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that his toil is not in vain. So we are still here, we are steadfast, immovable, we can serve him here because of the resurrection, because we have anybody, because the kingdom of God is over there, not here. I mean, this, this is the kingdom of God. That is the eternal kingdom. And what we are doing now, investing in the kingdom, we can send it on here. It's not always. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I stood beside my audience who dying to ask for our feet with me for all the time. And uh, you see her, you see the laborers, the laboring and the trying to breathe, it's hard to, to uh, get your breath. It's hard to just go and pray over the Lord and take her home now. But I know this that when she stops breathing here, she's in the heaven, she's in glory with the Lord. And she's in rejoicing with him forever. Now, when we come to this text here, this last text here, there are three things in this text, just like they are in the other. I've given three words. First is the crown. He's going to talk about the crown. 
And I want to just take a few minutes to talk about that crown of righteousness. And secondly, there is the day, that's the day that the Lord is going to award uh, Paul on that day. And then finally, thing, fine, finally is the challenge to us that he says that this is also true for those who love his appearing. So let's look at those things and we'll be quickly, sort of quick on that. The crown that he talks about in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Laid up has the idea of something that is being reserved or something that is being restored. If you remember in Luke's gospel, the parable of the 10 miners, miner was the Greek term for one kind of money that was used. And you had these, uh, these uh, three servants, each one was given a miner that would go out to invest it. One of, the, my, one of these guys came back and he came back and said, Master, here is your miner back, which I kept away in a handkerchief. Probably remember that. He stored it away. That word kept away or put away is the same word. He stored it in a secret place, holding on to it, not letting anything happen to it. In this case, it was a bad thing, but in the case of us, it's a good thing. Because God uh, stores away this crown of righteousness, this reward. He has it stored away for us in heaven on the other side. Do you see what I'm saying? That he has stored something there. That same word is used in Colossians. Where, where Paul is writing, um, he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, the hope, the hope of Christ, the hope of, of rewards, the hope of recognition, uh, the hope of this future glory, it is laid up, it is stored up, it is reserved in heaven. That's a good word. That's a good phrase. That's a nice thing to know here. When Paul says here, this, that in the future there is laid up, there is stored up, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness. Um, it is stored up for me. In Psalm 131, Paul says, how great, talking to the Lord, not Paul, the writer of Psalm 31 says, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. God's goodness, God's blessing, that he is stored up for those who fear him. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And so I'm, I'm happy about that. I like that. I like the idea that God has stored up things for us. In Colossians 1.5, Paul talks about, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of faith. Hope that is stored up, that same word, is reserved in heaven. It's kept uh, in God's safekeeping for you or me you know it, it's interesting and just i'm going to be coming back to this but it's just interesting to me that the lord has this commitment to to provide for us not only now but for all eternity in heaven and that the things that he is providing he's really holding on to and he's keeping them safe for us and that he cares about that that it's not just now i mean we do we care about we're talking about the virus and and we want to be safe and healthy now, but there's a lot, there's a lot of time on the other side of the grave that needs provided for, and he's doing that. He's holding it down. He's keeping, he's holding the fort. He's keeping things safe. Uh, the Bible talks about the present blessings and the eternal blessings. I'm thinking of what Paul talks about in First Timothy. We're in Second Timothy, but First Timothy chapter six, where he talks about uh, the the passage that that he deals. With the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. In that passage, 
one of the things he says, Paul says to Timothy is to instruct those who are rich. Watch this. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope or their security or their anchor in the uncertainty of riches. Now, I want to tell you something. That is easy for me to do. And it's easy for you to do, too, because you have the, the wealth is where you put your investments and you, and you watch that. What the Bible says, where you treasure, there your heart be off. You watch that because that's, you want to have your bills paid, you want to keep your house, you want to keep your property, you want to have those things. And, it's, and so it's easy to, to put your, your trust in that. But he said, don't let that be the source of your trust and your security. Um, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be concealed or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. I wonder why he says uncertainty of riches. Well, I think we can see that right now. This virus, a lot of people, a lot of business, a lot of restaurants. I don't know how many, but I've heard that there have been lots of restaurants that have just closed the door. They're just not going to be functioning. A lot of businesses are doing that. Life is very uncertain. <coughs> Life is very uncertain. So don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. I like that too. Things are provided by him for us to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. Here's the word, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. We have eternally, eternity in front of us. We're storing up a foundation. For the future, this is this is uh, this is our financial package that the Lord is storing up for us for the future. This is our portfolio. It's a foundation that He is storing up for us for the future, and uh, that's a good thing. He's instructed us. He said, "Don't put your uncertainty, your hope, and uncertainty of riches. Who do we put our hope and trust in? God. Doesn't mean that we we don't." Invest financially it doesn't mean that we don't try to take care of our resources and what we have, but it means that the one in whom we are trusting and looking to and relying on is God. He gives us wisdom in doing that. So that's a good thing. All right. So laid up. That's the word he uses. Laid up. A uh, crown is the, is the next word. The word is Stephanon. The two words, actually. The diadem, which speaks of the kind of crown that a king would wear generally. But Stephanos is the word that's used here. And that's it's kind of like a, a wreath that was made out of, sometimes out of oak leaves, uh, sometimes out of ivy, sometimes out of myrtle or olive leaves or flowers. I remember, I can, I can remember going to some weddings where you have a lot of little teenage girls come around and they would make these flowers and they make these little wreaths and put them on their heads and walk around with pretty dresses and look really nice. That's, that's what we're talking about. It's that kind of wreath right there. It's really not very valuable at all, but they were used uh, in that culture when uh, uh, there would be competition for games would, or, or recognizing somebody for civil worth or military valor or festival gladness. Um, these things were given as a recognition for some kind of service. And so this, they were very, they were, they were treasured in the sense that it was a wonderful recognition for them, but the actual value of the crown was not worth very much. It was not very expensive. It wasn't made of gold, it wasn't really expensive. It was just, in fact, the word is used, the same word is used to speak of the crown of thorns that was made, that woven for Jesus. 
the word is also in First Corinthians nine twenty five talks about uh, those that receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. That's that's the same word. Uh, Paul talks to believers in Philippians four one and says, uh, "You are my joy and my crown." Uh, to, to work with you, you are my joy. You are my crown. You are the the recognition of my ministry, and I just really appreciate you. James one twelve calls it a crown of life. First Peter five four calls it an unfail, unfading crown of glory. And uh, in Revelation, there are these crowns. Same word is used, but they are here. They are called crowns of glory, where they are given to the twenty four elders who are sitting on the throne around the, the throne of the universe. And so here is this is this crown that uh, he's talking about. And I guess the bottom line that Paul is telling Timothy is that they're stored up this, this recognition, maybe is a good way of putting it, um, for God's people who are serving him, who are, who are his children, who belong to him. It's a valuable treasure, and it's something that's stored up, reserved in heaven. And uh, it's almost like the goal that we seek for, if you will. Uh, I don't mean to... Because I do know that the Bible talks about giving, picking our crowns and casting them before the Lord and giving recognition to him. But it is a, it is a, as a reward is a recognition. I don't want to be getting too much with reward because I don't know that it's only a reward, but it is like a reward. And it's termed in this passage, and I want to speak on that for a few minutes, is termed the crown of righteousness. A crown of righteousness. That could mean, looks to me like one of two things. It could either mean that righteousness is the source of the crown, or righteousness is the nature of the crown. What do you mean? Well, if righteousness is the source of the crown, then it seems that he's saying that the crown is like a recognition or reward for righteousness in our life. It is a reward for our faithfulness and submission and obedience. The crown finds its cause and righteousness of life. Uh, and that's a possible interpretation because the victor's crown for somebody who was an athlete who did well. Uh, we all like to, my son especially enjoys uh, soccer and he likes to watch uh, some of these real good soccer players get down and kick the ball and dribble around, and you know, and you 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 appreciate them being able to do that, be able to to fall and do a somersault, kick the ball in the air, and hit hit the goal, and it's just really amazing. And somebody that does something real well like that, you like to recognize them, and that's what the victor's crown is. So that that is a possible interpretation that it is a recognition that the Lord is holding in store. And that's what Paul is talking about, this crown that uh, is given in recognition of his righteous and faithful life. But it also it could be, which I kind of lean to a little bit more, uh, a crown that is not just something that's worn, but is a display of righteousness, the nature of the crown. I think the, the uh, it's like a grammatical, a grammatical description of the crown. In other words, the crown is not just an object on your head, but it's the dress 
of righteousness for the believer. If you remember in Revelation, Revelation talks about the saints who are given white robes, uh, and these robes represent the righteous acts of the saints. They wear, and they, they, it becomes part of their, their attire. It's part, part of them. And uh, I think one of the things he might be saying here is that when we go to be with the Lord, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the, the pleas of, of, of the, in the Beatitudes is that these saints who are poverty-stricken, he says that those who are blessed are the poor in spirit, that they recognize their spiritual poverty. One of the things that they're wanting is righteousness. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, and that's, that's something that bothers me because while I want to be godly, I'm not. And while I want to please the Lord, most of the time, I don't. And while I want to discipline myself, I, one of the big thing, distractions for me is just uh, people coming through. It's easy to, to lust. If a girl comes through and she's nicely clothed, it's just hard. I have to turn away. I have to make myself do that. And, or to overeat or to, to be lazy and do something that, I, you know, I get, get home from work, I'm tired. I need to do something, but I say, I'm going to just sit down and watch a few minutes of the news or whatever like that. These are things, and so you, I, I constantly want to have a life that is fully righteous. Do you understand what I'm saying? But it's not. But if I understand this correctly, what the Lord is saying is on the other side, that if we have that crown of righteousness, our life will display the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, and we will stand complete in his righteousness, completely clothed in righteousness, so that then you won't even recognize me because I'll be righteous before God and righteous before you. And we'll even look like each other then. We'll be standing in righteousness. And I think part of that, that's what, he's, what he, he, he might be saying here. So that it's not just an object on my head, but it's a dress. Uh, the normal attire of the resurrected saint. One of the things we struggle with is a desire to, to be righteous and godly. That's what Paul said in, in Romans 7. He said, what I want to do, I don't do. I keep finding that struggle over and over and over and over again. And we carry that like a, like a big weight on a chain. We carry that, that old flesh with us all the time. And I can have a, a great quiet time and, and a good time of prayer. And then I finish that. And I can see something or think of something, and instantly my fellowship is, is diverted, and I'm just a mile away. You understand what I'm saying? It's just there. It's, it's so deep in my nature. And so uh, I, I think maybe that's one of the things he's saying. There's a crown of righteousness, this display of righteousness in his life, that we'll be dressed for the rest of eternity in this perfect righteousness. It'll be part of us because of Christ and who he is who he is and what he has done. Um, and so I think that's a good thing. I, I'm anxious about that. Paul says in Galatians 5 that our anticipation, uh, we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. We haven't accomplished it yet. We're waiting for that fulfillment, that hope of righteousness. That's Galatians 5. 5. Uh, and, and in Romans... Paul, I love Romans. Uh, Paul talks about the present struggle and the future glory. This is a struggle. And here's the way he words it. In Romans 8, 18, he says, I consider the sufferings of this present time. Sufferings, hardship, struggle with sin, struggle with lust, struggle with... I consider the sufferings of this present time as not worthy 
to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, wait a minute. Every time I read that, I, I want to read compared to with the glory that is to be revealed in us. But it doesn't say in us. It says to us. And I'm thinking, as I'm trying to go through that, I'm thinking what he's saying is that when we stand there in that righteousness, we're going to be impressed with the righteousness that God has put on us as much as you're going to be impressed. Can you believe this? You understand what I'm saying? That we are going to be astounded and marvel at the righteousness that God has, by his mercy and in his grace and for his glory, clothed us with as we stand before him. And that will be the revealing there in that next verse uh, of the sons of God, those who, who belong to him and love, love him. So I think that's, so that's, I think that's what Paul is saying here, that this is the, that righteousness, that crown of righteousness um, that is revealed to us. We know that, that, uh, that uh, as he says here in this text, I want to get back to the text, but I don't want to lose the text. It says, in the future, there's later for me a crown of righteousness. And this is that crown which is going to that, that be displayed for us, kind of like a, a reward, if you will, or a byproduct of our life. And um, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul talks about something else that is connected with that, and that is that there is a time of evaluation of our works before God. He says it like this. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed. That word recompensed, I don't know if this is the best translation, but I think we could almost translate reimbursed. Maybe not reimbursed, but because we didn't, we, we perhaps participated, but we're not responsible for the deeds. Yet we are responsible. We are responsible for obeying. But he says, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. That's down here. According to what he has done, good or bad. So that what we've done in the body down here, good or bad, is going to be examined and it's going to be evaluated. And um, there's going to be that, that response about what we've done, whether it's been good or whether it's been bad. In chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, If any man builds on the foundation gold, silver, precious stone. By the way, let's back up for a minute there. Not to forget that word foundation is the word for salvation. It has words. It's not the word, but it means the salvation. That anyone, if any man builds on the foundation gold, silver, precious stone, Stone, wood, hay, or stubble, each man's work will become evident. So here we have uh, our, our walk with the Lord, our life. He calls it the foundation. And uh, he's examining the works of our life, whether it be gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble. What's the difference between those things? That's right. One burns up, one will withstand the test of fire. Fire is used in the scripture as a. That's right, exactly right. Purification. So it will, the fire will test the works whether they are preserved, whether they're good, whether they're righteous, or whether they're bad. That's what he says. We'll be tested by fire, shall be revealed by fire. The 
fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built only remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved so as through fire. So here's, here's just another passage that reminds us that how we live does matter. What we do does matter. And the ramifications of this move over into the eternal dwelling, into the, the foundation that God is storing up for us in glory. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, a, it's a good thing. And I'm very thankful that the Lord is doing that um, and, and keeping track of our works, if you will, and, and uh, just watching over those things. So that, that takes care of this part of the verse. That, that takes care of the crown that we want to look at. The second thing, and I'll just have to be brief with this, is the, is the idea of the day. Uh, I'm way over my head on this because there's so many references to this. The day of the Lord is, is uh, one of the days that is used both in the Old and New Testament to speak of God's coming back and impacting the world and the things in the world with judgment. He's coming back to, to confront this world in other words, the things are not going to go on like they're going on right now. We've, it is amazing to me the impact of just this virus has had on the world, not just our country, but the whole world. And it is really, I mean, it is just, before it happened to say that the schools are going to close down, the business is going to close down, that, that uh, people are going to be walking around all over the place with masks and they're going to be staying home, and not going out in the story, that would be hard to imagine. That's exactly what they're doing. And uh, it, it is really, it is amazing to me. And I don't know how, I don't know how this is fitting into Bible prophecy, if it is fitting into Bible prophecy. I don't know. It seems apocalyptic in a way, but I don't know how it's fitting into prophecy. But I do know God's hands in it. I know that it would never happen if he didn't want it to happen. He's behind it. He's using it. He's got a purpose for it. I don't know what it is. Um, if you want to come up and tell me later, that's fine. I'd like to hear your opinion about it. Just going to take, but it is it is amazing to me what's going on, and uh, it is it's a staggering thing. Well, the day of the Lord is going to be impacted. Many passages. I'm just going to. I could read from Joel. I could read from Zephaniah, Malachi four or five. Malachi four or five says, "I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord." Uh, Peter says in 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow in his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. That sounds like a pretty uh, rough scenario to go through, where the elements are going to be burned up, and these kind of things are going to happen. And somebody commented in one article that this was a, like a nuclear war, and it could be like a nuclear war, but it doesn't seem like a nuclear war here. This is like God's going to do it. So it's a pretty severe thing. In the book of Acts, uh, Acts, Peter, when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, he quotes this passage from Joel that talks about the day of the Lord. Let me read it to you. Acts 2.14, 
Peter is taking his stand with the eleven. He raises his voice and declares to them, Men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Quote, this is quoted from Joel now. And it shall be in the last days, that is the days of the coming of Messiah, that I will pour forth my, of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I think with that reference to sons and daughters, just between us, that he's talking particularly about the Jewish uh, families, the Jewish sons and daughters. I think he's referring to, because this is the first day of Pentecost. It's going to be expanded to all. But I think he's talking about that, that when God says he's going to pour forth his spirit, your sons and daughters, young men, uh, old men, he's saying not that everybody in the world is going to have the Holy Spirit, but that indiscriminately, old men, young men, men, women, women, men, slaves, free, if they know the Lord, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. He's not going to choose some that are CEOs and leave the, the common cashiers down here at the bottom. They're not going to get much. The, the uh, slave or the slave owner or the master, if they know the Lord, will have the Holy Spirit. He'll be poured out on them. And so I think that's what he's saying here. I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will pour. I will in those days pour, pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I don't think he's saying that the day of Pentecost was a sun, it was a time, but that this is going to happen before this time comes. These days are going to come. So it's a significant time, but it's connected with preceding the coming of the day of the Lord, which is a very severe, severe time. So that's one day, and I'm not going to dwell on that, um, but I do think it's interesting. Um, a, a verse that I do want to, to kind of close with is what, Peter, is what Paul said on the Areopagus Mars Hill in Acts 17. Paul said on, in the Acts 17 when he was talking to those philosophers and he was talking to them about the God that they had a sign or a statue that said to the unknown God. So he was describing them to him. And one of the things he said after describing the God is that he is, doesn't, he, he, you don't make temples for him and he does not depend on us and so on and so forth. He says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, talking about this God, overlooking the times of ignorance, this is before the completed word, this is before while man was still floundering around, it may be, I should say floundering around, but because God had been faithful to give things, but a lot we didn't have the completed canon in this time of ignorance god was now declaring to all men men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead god has established a day he's fixed it it's on his calendar the date is set the alarm has gone, is, is ready to go off. He hits the button. It's counting down. We don't know when it's going to be, but the day has already been set for this calendar, and it is counting down to that. And um, this is just, it's, it's coming. And that's what he's saying, that this is, a, this is something that's going to happen, that God is, is going to hold us accountable. Um, Paul talks about that day. Um, many passages talk about that day, that the Lord is going to, do it, uh, says in, in 2 Timothy 1.12, he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day. 
Philippians um, 1 6, I am confident this very thing that he began a good work and you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, 2 Timothy 1 18, uh, Lord grant him to find mercy on that day. Um, Malachi 3 17, they will be mine, says the Lord, on the day that I prepare my possessions, so on and so forth. Matthew it tells at the, sermon, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will say to me, many will say to me, in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name, cast out demons? So it is, there is a, there's times coming in which there are going to be accountability. That's what I'm trying to teach this Times in which God is going to look at our lives and we will be rewarded or be judged. You see what I'm saying? That there will be this kind of response. And I'm not saying that, that, uh, the, that, we, that believers are going to stand before the judgment seat because we know that the judgment for our salvation took place on Calvary. And that's a good thing. But our works and what we do are going to be evaluated. And that's going to be brought out into the open. And that's sort of what, what uh, I think Paul is referring to here. When he, because of his faithfulness and his life, he says, the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And then the last part, and I know that I'm moving quicker than you want to move. The last part is the challenge that comes to me from that text, or comes to us in that text. He says, not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. What does it mean to love his appearance? This means to, to provide for that, to pursue that, to embrace the fact that he's coming back, to embrace the fact that we know we're going to, to answer to him and to be responsive to him. Um, there, there are a lot of verses. One of the verses that really staggers me or, or kind of causes me to tremble is the passage <coughs> that says that we're going to give account for every idle word. That's a pretty heavy. Now, I, I know I'm going to lose my salvation, but I. Have accumulated a lot of idle words in our life. Amen. And they're not, oh, yeah, thank you, brother. They're not all, this is idle word. Just <laughs> they're not all uh, good idle words either. I, I, and I kind of rationalize that to think that a lot of the times the idle words we say are in love with brothers. We, we do it in joking. I know sometimes it's not a yeah, That's right. And that's kind of a comfort to me because I don't, I don't really. Uh, I'm not, I'm really careful about trying to be careful about what I say to people. Uh, sometimes I don't, I used to apologize to Warner, and he's in the back, and I bet I've done it for the same time for Warner, I've asked you to forgive me, because I didn't know it was a But we are going to be standing before him, and uh, if, if we want to be ready, we want to love his opinion, we want to anticipate that and seek that, because it's a good thing, not a bad thing, even though it, Lord, we're taking up, we're loading a bus right now to go to heaven. I would probably pass on it because I, I, I have things I want to do, including ride my new more. But, <laughs> at the same time, no, but at the same time, this is a serious thing because we're going to stand before the Lord. And, we, and it's a good thing. It's a, not a bad thing. But, and so uh, that's what, what Paul is telling Timothy here in this passage here is that uh, the future that is laid up for me, this crown of righteousness, this righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, is going to award on me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing, which includes us. That's a good thing. So let's remember that. Let's, how we live, how we conduct ourselves does matter. It makes a difference. It really does. It makes a difference not only in our life, but it makes a difference in the lives of others. Um, I don't I, 
I don't know, but I, I just think that I'll be there coming back. So let's remember. Let me, let me close in prayer and then we can do a song. Father, thank you for your goodness to us and for the fact that you have stored up for us already uh, a foundation for the future and that you are undertaking to do that. You are working. We can't perform good works. You have ordained those good works from before the foundation of the world for us to walk in. And I know, I can see in my life that you are working in me to try to get my attention and help me to listen and respond to you in spite of my stubborn heart. And I'm so, so appreciative of you doing that. I appreciate you pursuing me, and as we were talking about this morning in Sunday school class, pursuing me and working in my heart like you did Peter, and not ignoring me and letting me go like the rich young ruler who came and was seeking eternal life and then walked away and you let him go. Thank you that you're not letting us go, but you're working to make us people of God and to work in our hearts and our lives. And I have friends and family people that I love very much, and I don't want you to let them go. I want you to work in them. I'm asking you to do that and work with the people we love to bring them to a point of surrender to you and commitment to you and remind me to pray for those as necessary because it's really important for you to do that. And so anyway, thank you for this time. Thank you for your goodness to us and bless the remainder of this day and the service tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.